um, uh, the chapter, and uh, we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start reading there in verse 32. I wrote in my notes, and that messed me up. I wrote down. We're going to read 32 through verse 28. We'll see how that goes. It is 38. Um, verse number 32. And now, brethren, I can remember he's talking to the pastors of the church in Asia Minor and the in the region of Ephesus and, and the same churches that you see in the book of Revelation, actually. He says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold <clears throat> or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them which were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down, prayed with them all. When they, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him, Unto the ship. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. And Lord, we ask for your help now, as we know this is certainly the most important part of the service. And Lord, we know that if you don't work, it, it, it's vanity. So Lord, I pray, one, you'd help me, help me to think clearly and, and, and to speak clearly, and that you would bless and control what I say and how I say it. And Lord, that your spirit would work on the hearts the hearts and minds of all those present, to strengthen us in your word, to help it allow us to grow closer to you. Lord, I pray especially for those here that have never truly been converted, for that conviction and for that drawing, that perhaps even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Again, Paul is finishing up his missionary journey, heading back to Jerusalem, his third one. And he, he is on his way back. I've stressed how it is just amazing how the man uses his time wisely. He has this short layover in Miletus. It's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's not too far from, I don't know what it is, I don't remember, 30, 40 miles from Jerusalem. And he calls for the elders of the churches in the region. He gets them all together one more time. Remember, when this missionary journey started, he spent almost all of it in Ephesus, longer than Basically, he stayed there. All those missionary journeys, it's the longest he stayed in one place. It was going on three years that he stayed there. And uh, uh, so he's close to these men. He's trained them. He's, he's the one who's ordained them. He's put them in place. And he's watched the, the, the church at Ephesus grow, the other churches springing up and those growing. And he has great concern for them, a great love for them. He cares deeply for these, these churches, and it's really evident by this discourse as we're going to finish it up here today. <coughs> we looked last time how he had great concern for their future. He knew that wolves were going to come in. He knew there were dangers that were going to hit. He knew there was nothing he could do about it, but it was going to happen. There was going to be trouble. He knew the day would come. He didn't know when, but they're going to have trouble from the outside and trouble from, from the inside. He knew the nature of man. He knew the dangers that existed. And so, um, he, last time he talked about his own purity, remember his preaching and giving the warning to what is to come. And you still see his heart in this regard in our text. 
And in this text, we really have an example for us. When we have those individuals, whether it's family or friends or due to a position, whether it's ministry or whatever it might be, those that we care about deeply, different individuals that we're concerned for their future, we know battles are coming, yet you're not going to be there to help. It really is a great example of what to do when things are out of your control. How often do we make bad decisions, even hurt our own relationships that we have, get filled with anxiety and worry over things that are completely out of our control, that there's nothing you can do about it. Paul's in this situation with the church, with the churches in this region of Asia Minor. He knows. As far as he knows right now, as we can tell by the reading, he's telling them, I don't think I'm ever coming back here again. You know he's going to Jerusalem. You know he's facing a very difficult time, likely to be arrested, perhaps even killed. But he also knows once he leaves there, he's planning, he wants to get all the way to Rome. So he's concerned as to what's going to take place with these men. Throughout the Bible, we have different great examples in the Bible of what to do when things are out of your control. We have good and bad examples. A bad example would be King Saul. He did not do well when things were out of his control. But we have great examples, many of them. My favorite would be Joseph. That, that's a man who, you think of all the trials and all the difficulties he faced, and yet there was something about the guy. We're gonna, it's the same thing Paul does here. Same thing Paul does here that Joseph had about him. Joseph had so much happening, just nothing. I mean, I mean he's convicted of a crime he never committed. Completely out of his control. You see the man stay faithful. Others in the Bible. Men like Daniel. When all of a sudden, he saw those in leadership rising up, getting ready to pass a law that he knew would directly affect him and and, and as far as he knew, would lead to his death unless God intervened. It was out of his control. People like Hannah, when things are completely out of their control. Listen, I would imagine, probably all of us, probably the majority of the men, this is something I struggle with. I I, I like to have things in my control. But you know what God loves to do? Put me in a place where it's out of my control. David is an example of different times in his life where things got out of his control. Ezra, I think, is a great example of that. And today we see it with the Apostle Paul, and boy, do we have some help from him. We're going to look at three different things within this, two primarily dealing with how to handle when things are out of control. We're going to see Paul's peace in this situation. And then we're going to look, then, then we're going to look uh, um, secondly, and get in the pattern that Paul left for them. And then lastly, we'll look at Paul's parting. When he leaves. We'll see that Paul has a measure of peace. Even though he's very concerned for their future. He knew difficult days lay ahead. But there's a measure of settledness about him. A measure of peace. And we see why. We're going to see the pattern that Paul left. For these men and for these churches. 
And we see the importance then why we do have influence with those around us, with those we care about, with those we're responsible for, to be the right influence now. And then, of course, we'll see his parting. It's something we all know true to be in life, that saying goodbye certainly is never easy. So let's get into this day. Let's start off with verse 32, just this one verse for the first point, and we see Paul's peace. He says this again. He's around these group of pastors, the leader of the churches in this region, concerned for their future, knowing battles are coming, and he says this, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You can see here in these verses that Paul was not about Paul. What Paul understood was the necessity of their growth and them being grounded in their faith was not dependent upon him. He understood he was a man just like all of them. Too often, one of the dangers we get into when we do struggle when things are out of our control is because sometimes pride is kept in and, and, and we think we have the ability, we have the power, and we fail to see God in the situation. Paul here, again, he's leaving. Doesn't think he's going to be back. He wants these churches to make it. He wants them to thrive. He doesn't want to see them decimated by false doctrine. He doesn't want to see them destroyed by sin. He wants them in a place where they can glorify God. He certainly doesn't want to see all the work and all the labor he has done completely undone. But he's leaving. And he knows this will be out of my control. I'm not going to be there in the pulpit. I'm not going to be able to see when a wolf comes in. I'm not going to be able to see when somebody within the midst is starting to cause division. He understands that. He's going to be out of control of the situation. But let's look at what he does. The first thing you notice is this. I commend you to God. And that's where it starts. Right there. The word commend there means to entrust. What, what Paul is going to, even though he's not in control, he's going to the one who is in control. Listen, the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is, is not just a, a Sunday school term. It's not just a term that's abused by Calvinists. It's true. God is in control. He is sovereign. And so Paul goes to him and says, I'm going to entrust you. I am commending you to God. He knew this was the key. Listen, that's so true for your life. When things are out of your control, know what you do? You have to entrust it to God. So often, we love the idea of religion too often in our life. We love the idea of, this, of, of a relationship with the Creator. But when it comes to the practical side... When the rubber meets the road, too often, that, that's where we just drop the ball. But Paul here says, you know what? This is all I can do. I know the wolves are coming. He just said it if you read the previous verses. I know there's going to problems rise from within some of your churches. 
You're going to have men come up from your churches. They're going to try and get followings on themselves. They're going to split. He, I know all this is coming, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be here for this. He goes, but I am entrusting you to God. He's in control. He's sovereign. That's what you do. Takes a measure of faith. When things are out of your control, go to the one who's in control. Again, I've already brought up Joseph. I, I mean, think of how that kept Joseph in the will of God. I mean, think, he's sitting in prison. Again, I've preached on it before. He could have got mad. He could have got bitter. He could have got angry. I didn't do this, God. I'm trying to serve you. And all this happens. He's just sitting in prison. He says, you know what? I don't understand it. I can't control it. But I'm simply going to trust God. Listen, you have to determine and know that he is good and settle it. Don't debate it based on circumstances in your life. He is good. You don't want what you deserve. Listen, the truth is, if we would be honest with ourselves, we all know how wretched we are. You don't want God's justice in your life, I assure you. You're experiencing His goodness just by sitting here. <clears throat> so the first thing you do when things are out of your control is entrust God with it. Now, I... I think of some of the most precious things given to me, of course, are my children, just like with you. From the time that Daniel left home, the oldest, heading back to college, and having to trust the Lord with that. And wondering, boy, I hope what I taught him worked. I hope it took. But you know what? At that point in time, I knew, as he got on that plane, in that little island in the South Pacific into Ireland, and took off. It's out of my control now. It was in my control for all those years. And now I sort of had to practice what I preach. I always taught my kids, you never impress me when you do right when I'm there. That's a given. It's when you do right when I'm not around. And that was true with each one of them. As they headed out, Lord, please. Only thing I can do is change how I prayed for them. I had to entrust them to God. Levi will fly back out tonight. It's a good possibility I won't see him for a year after this. And I don't like that thought. And only thing is entrust him to the Lord. Which is what I did when he, when he uh, headed off for his first semester of college. And then, oh, the joy that hit when I saw it was taking. The growth. The first thing you do when you're facing a situation that's out of your control is you go to the one who's in control. Listen to me. You have faith. Faith, by the way, is God-given. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. It's God-given. There's no one in here who does not have faith. Not one of us. We all have different levels of faith, but you have faith. The Bible says God has given to all of us a measure of faith. You take that faith to God. Secondly, look what Paul did in verse 32. He says, And to the word of his grace, 
which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. Now Paul entrusts two things he's committed to God and to God's word. He's entrusted in to follow God's word to the power that is found in the word of God. I love the phrase. Look at this. Maybe you might want to underline that in your Bible if you do that. Notice what he says. Into the word of his grace. And then the next uh, 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 three words. Which is able. What a great way to describe the word of God. It is able. It is able. This is the key. Paul says, I know I'm leaving. I'm not in control. But I know we have God's word. That's not going anywhere. You have what you need to build you up. You have what you need uh, to establish you. You have what you need to lead to growth. You have what you need to, to recognize when wolves are there. You have what you need to recognize when division is coming. You have what you need to secure you all the way to the inheritance that we're going to receive. Besides going to the Lord when things are out of your control, the Bible is key in your life. It is what you have when things are out of your control. I mean, think of how the Bible is described in verses like Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. How the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Or Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-nine, how his word is like a fire, like a hammer. The, the power of it, verse after verse after verse. How it is the word of God that we see in, 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 in Psalm 119, 105 that gives direction. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Paul knew this is what can guide. This is what can give the direction. This is the first Sunday in a new year. The first Sunday in 2024. Determine, say, you know what, Lord, starting now, I'm going to be faithful to this book. And, and, not, and you should be in it every single day without fail. But remember, I stress this, it is not, it, I mean, it starts there with the decision to get in it. But too often, as independent fundamental Baptists, that's where we leave it. It's more than just opening it up and reading it. It's not a magic book. There's principles here and truth here that is meant to give you direction. That is designed to change your life. That is designed to put you in a place of wisdom. That is designed to begin to mold your character. It's not like, okay, let's see, today, let's see, tomorrow, wait, wait what is today, January 7th today, is that right? January 8th. All right, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an actor. And it came to pass after we were gotten in, we launched when we came from Rhodes Finding. And now we went to discover Cyprus, Land and Tyree. Oh, okay, the guy doesn't stop traveling. My goodness, we ceased. The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriage. We heard it was glorified God. Oh, amen. And said unto them, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands. Whew, I'm done. Check. It did you nothing. Do you understand that? Nothing. It's not a magic book. 
if you want to be able to handle correctly the situations not in your control, boy, does this book need to be strong in your life. Spurgeon said this about the Word of God. It is not sent to astound us with its brilliance, but to guide us by its instruction. I mean, as we saw in Psalm 19:105, it does give direction. It does affect our, our, our feet, our path. Too often we think when, when we hear verses like Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a light unto my feet, a light unto my path. It, it, it's as if we've sort of lost the battle before again. So often we think of that in ways of, of different geographical locations of the will of God. Back when I was praying about going to New Guinea or, or even coming back uh, to the United States. You know, um, we think of it in that regard. That's not what it's dealing with there in Psalm 119, 105. It's not. What it is addressing is your everyday path. Every day. You get into God's Word. It gives you knowledge. It gives you truth. Through that, God's Holy Spirit, which is, you're saved and dwells you, prevents to, uh, 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 begins to provide a measure of understanding. That then begins to impact the decisions on your life. To break down those character uh, uh, flaws, like pride. To be able to, uh, to, to, for, again, just to begin to allow God's Word to be the light that begins to direct your life on an everyday basis. To put you in a place where you have the ability to make good decisions. To put you in a place where all of a sudden, you know what it does? It strengthens your faith. Romans ten seventeen. And as your faith strengthens, you know what you're going to handle better? Those situations that are out of your control. Turn over to Psalm 119. I want you to see two verses after 105. We know Psalm 119, 105. I want you to see 107. You see, Paul knew when he entrusted them to God, he knew they needed God's word. He knew he needed to give direction to allow them to make good decisions. He knew troubled times were coming. Listen, the truth is, listen to me. Ignorance, especially when it comes to the truth of God's word, can and will hurt you. It will. It breeds indecision in your life because you lack knowledge. The Word of God, by giving you true knowledge, it leads to your decision-making process. So when you're faced with something, you know the right decision to make. And spiritually, as it's molding you and changing you, hopefully you're in a place suppressing the flesh where you have the spiritual stamina and the spiritual strength to make the right decision. Because the majority of those are going to be against your flesh.
Look at 107. He says this. I am afflicted very much. The psalmist in distress. Troubled. I don't know what he was facing. I don't know what was out of his control. But I am afflicted very much. Then he says this though. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. The psalmist here, facing this mass affliction, this major trial in his life, affecting his spirit. He was down. He was distressed. He wanted quickening. He wanted life. Lord, I am down. I am depressed. This thing has me. I need life. He's not getting it from a pill. He's not getting it from a program. He knows the key is in God's word. The Bible not only guides in direction, but you see in Psalm in verse 107 of 119, it, it's, it's a direct help in affliction. It's a direct help in those trials. But in order for this to take place, you have to see truth as, understand this, you have to see truth as more than just good. You have to see it as Job did. You have to see it as life. This is what I need more, more than my necessary food. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. You're in God's word and it's strengthening you. By the way, it's amazing. Even And I think you should have your devotion time systematically. That There's wisdom in that. It'll help you with faithfulness and a lot of reasons. And it's amazing, even though it's systematic, how that will be used. Uh, let me try and give you a practical what I mean by that. You're staying faithful to it. When you're reading it, you're reading it to grow, not to check a box. And so you're in it, and all of a sudden you're facing a, a difficult situation at work, let's say. Or at home. Pick it. At work, everything just seems to be falling apart. You know, you, you, your boss is the most lost man possible. I, I don't know. But it's just difficult. And then all of a sudden, you're in James chapter 4. Your life is as a vapor. Appeareth for a while, vanisheth away. All of a sudden, a simple truth mixed with God's spirit that you're not playing around with begins to give understanding. And you hear that small voice remind you, hey, you're here for a short time. It's all right. This will pass. And all of a sudden, in the midst of a trial, you know what there is? There's a measure of joy. I mean, I can't think of the time, one of the most special times in my life, because it's the first time I remember it happening to me, is just when I started serving God, I'm getting into His Word, I get to the book of Joshua, the first time I'm ever reading it, and all of a sudden, I'm convicted about bringing my Bible to high school. You just did not do that. And again, over the summer, my life had changed. I'm now serving Christ. The school year has started. It's several weeks into it. And wouldn't you know, guess what chapter I'm in? Joshua chapter 1. Do you think that's coincidence? All of a sudden, I get down. I'm reading through Joshua chapter and how the Lord's encouraging. Be strong and courageous. I mean, and seeing these words, wanting to grow from them and, and, and just being convicted the conviction didn't last too big. You know the story. I found the smallest Bible I could, put it in my pocket, and I went to school. But I was still in the book of Joshua. <laughs> so the next day, that changed, and I brought my regular Bible to school with me. 
And I won't have time to get into that story, but what an interesting day that turned out to be. Listen, there's times when you're facing difficult situations or things are out of your control and it just seems to grip you. And you need quickened. You need life. This is the place to go to get it. But if it's just a Sunday school book, if it's just something you do out of duty, you're going to miss it. But Paul knew, says, listen, I am leaving. He knew the very real dangers. He knew what was at stake, heaven and hell, uh, uh, um, uh, the, 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 the towns of Ephesus, of Sardis, of Thyatira, of Philadelphia. He knew all that was at stake. He said, but I know this. I will entrust you to the word of God. He knew what it could do. Listen, those difficult times, those situations of things out of your control, those times will come. What is so important is perspective, okay? How you view it. That's going to put you, that's going to put you in the place where you need to be. The ability to have the right perspective on your situation directly comes from your relationship to God and knowledge of His Word. You've got to be able to have the right view when those difficult times hit, or you're going to make really bad decisions. Paul is a great example of this. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake. I'm still in the first point. The other two will go, will go much, much faster, though. Paul is a great example in the Word of God who has had the ability, because of entrusting things to God and God's Word, where, although facing very difficult situations, seeing what was going on with churches, things out of his control, where he was able to step back, you see this when you get into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and just view it from a right perspective. He says, you know what? The truth is, what I'm facing right now, shipwreck, beating, starving, lacking needs, seeing the problems arising, he said, the truth is, it is a light affliction. When he compared it to eternity. Your ability in the midst of a situation to be able to do that. To keep your sanity. To keep your peace. Is dependent upon that relationship with God and his word. Where you can say, you know what? One day this is, this is all going to be over with. Too often, current circumstances can blind you. Certain realities and the distress can just seem overwhelming. I was talking to a person this week. I got one call. I asked to call another person. Call the person up. And, and the only way I'm going to describe it was completely overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. And I knew as, as I'm on the phone, I knew I said, you know what? I've got to change this man's perspective now. I've got to change it. Lord, please help. I've got to get him to see things, to get some of the word of God in him so his mind can begin to think right. It's why the Bible talks how, yes, you can have joy in the midst of trials. 
You see, our service to our Lord and our relationship with Him does not screen us from trials and troubles. It secures it for us. Point number two, back in Acts chapter 20. I want you to see Paul's pattern that he gives. To cover this quickly. So you're going to have to listen fast. I'm going to talk even faster than I normally do. 33, 34, and 35. All right. So Paul says, listen, this is what he does. He's leaving. This is his last words. Before he gets on this ship and leaves, he says, I am commending you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now he goes to, right now we see his peace because of God and God's word even though he's leaving with the trials coming. But look at the pattern he reminds them that he left for them. He says this, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul now, it's interesting what he does here. He brings them back to a pattern that he established when he was with them. He wants, he, he wants to keep their mind focused on a measure of work, on a measure of labor. You, you know, one thing that will destroy your mind is idleness. It will. Uh, no kidding. It, it'll, it'll just, your, your mind can run bonkers on you all of a sudden. Paul reminds him of his example. So, one of the most important things I want you to grab from this, I'm, I'm going to go into that text and, and deal with it, but I want, you to go, I want you to see what he's doing. While he had influence in their life, he used it right. He says, now, I want you to remember, I am leaving, but you remember how I was when I was there. I was a man of character, a man of integrity. I wouldn't make this about myself. My ministry was never about self-interest. My ministry was never about gold and silver and money. Remember the pattern I left you. Don't make it about you. He reminds them of his character. Listen, the day will come. When you no longer have the direct influence on those around you and those you care about. The day will come when it's out of your control. So while God has you with a measure of influence now, use that influence right. Paul talks how he coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Now, this was important because it's still true to this day, really. One of the number one characteristics of a false prophet is covetousness, is greed, is money. It's one of the primary, and Paul knew that in his day. And he's reminded of the pattern the man of integrity was, how this was truth. And this wasn't about me. This wasn't me coming in trying to deceive and see what I could gain. The truth is, he said, I took nothing from you. And we know he could have paused the one himself who taught and wrote in the New Testament under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that uh, um, uh, how, how the elder is worthy of double honor. That's dealing with finances. How, how he said you should not muzzle the ox that's treading out the cord. Yet he himself says this, I'm not taking anything. I'm protecting this man. Remember how I protected it when I was there. 
Paul and his ministry had such freedom from self-interest. What an example for us. The truth is, and Paul knew this, you can't serve God and mammon. Paul reminds him of his pattern, of his integrity, of his character. How he gave his life for others, all to the glory of God. He said, listen, follow that pattern. Paul knew, I could have taken a salary among you for the three years that I was there. But he never, ever wanted his motives questioned. He encouraged them to labor, to work. And men, we ought to work. I mean, we live in a culture that's just incredible. It's doing all that can to get out of work. You ought to work. It's why we're here. Work allows you to provide for your family. And as Paul points out here, it puts you in a position where God can use you to help others. Where you're in a place to help those who need help. And he quotes Christ here. He says, listen, by your laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that, those words of Christ are not in the Gospels. Of course, we know from John chapter 21, there's multi, I mean, it's the word, it says the books cannot contain all that he said and did. All of his words and deeds are not in the Gospels, but this was obviously a common saying that people knew the Lord had said. And boy, that's so true in life. How it is better to give than to receive. The joy and satisfaction with it. I mean, we just came out of Christmas time. I mean, there's nothing uh, more exciting than, uh, I mean, to me, it doesn't even compare to uh, when I'm opening something somebody gave me. I, I, wa- I want to see the reaction when, I, when they open up what I've given them. And then if they don't like it, it's on. We're fighting at that point in time. You will like this. Paul was able to remind them of the example that he gave them when he was there. Dads, what example are you leaving for your kids? What pattern are you giving them? Not in word, but in deed. Listen, leave a godly example. Then lastly, as we finish, let's look at the last couple of verses. Paul's parting. What a scene this is. So here's all these pastors from the churches there. They're all with Paul. He's trained them all. He's ordained them. He's prayed with them. He's counseled with them. He's taught them. He has them in positions of leadership. It says, and when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Now, that's going a little far if I'm leaving. There's no kissing taking place. Verse 38. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship to the very last second they could have with that man. All the way to the boat. So here's Paul. It's time to say goodbye. And saying goodbye is never easy, but it certainly is part of life. 
in one way, the perspective really that the Bible even gives us where there's a measure of joy in that sorrow of saying goodbye is one, being grateful to God and thankful to God that you have relationships so meaningful in your life that are close to you that it actually hurts to say goodbye instead of being glad. Bye. It means God has given you some good relationships. Some things that are important to you. Saying goodbye isn't easy. Robert Moffat, if you know, he was a missionary in South Africa. Primarily did Bible translation. And he was the, the father-in-law of David Livingston. Okay? When he left South Africa. So it goes, it was his last Sunday there. was Sunday, March 20th of 1870. Preached his final message there. He had been there for 50 years. 50 years he's given his life there. He's preaching his final message. Some other missionaries had come in for his last service. And, and when they describe it, it was, they said it was just the same one. Still pleading as he ended for sinners to convert to Christ and, and trying to strengthen those believers. And he would leave that Friday. So that Friday comes. Him and his wife are in their house. They have a wagon out front. Uh, to get in to head out. And as, as they come out of the house, it's just packed with people. Just lying with them. All those people he had ministered to. Wanting to say goodbye one more time. Shaking his hand. Watching him as he got on the wagon. And then it said those that could walked or ran with that wagon as far as they could until he left. There's times that saying goodbye isn't easy. I remember our, our last Sunday in New Guinea comes to mind. Very last service there. There was just three of us left, me, uh, Marianne, and Levi. So we had a special service that Sunday. And I'm, after that last service that Sunday, we're getting in the vehicle and heading out. We're heading straight out from the service. So I preach, and of course, there's, it, was, it was packed, just full, full service. Uh, many people who had been influenced by the ministry had attended, and, and, and it was, so it was a full service, especially we had a meal, and, and then just all the crying and weeping and, and, and saying goodbye, and so difficult to get in that vehicle and drive off. And then the, the tears driving down the road. <laughs> then we get there. Uh, so we stayed the night. We had to be at the airport at... 4 or 5 a.m., I can't remember. I think 4 a.m., I think it left at 6 a.m. Flight left at 5.55. It's just a small place. It's just on the island. And I pull in, and I thought I'd be the first one there. And, uh, but there's a truck there, covered up. I'm like, oh, wow, there's already a truck here. I mean, this is just a small place. It's not like Anchorage International Airport or anything like that. And so we get dropped off, all of our bags, and, and we're, we're near the entrance, and then they start piling, piling out of the truck. They hired a truck to come up to the airport to say goodbye one more time. It's not always easy saying goodbye. But that's where you entrust them to the Lord, and you trust God, even as you head out tonight. With heads bowed.